uh, 1 through or 10, 17. It is a long passage. And I tried to figure out a way to break down this passage to make it smaller or maybe just read bits and pieces. But there's really just no way to do it because this whole, uh, this whole section, as long as it is, really all fits together. Uh, I'm going to suspend what I normally do. I normally tell you a cute little introductory story and then I give another slight introduction and then I read the passage and I pray. This morning, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us because this is, again, a long passage. We're going to need the Lord's help in just reading this passage this morning. Uh, and then I'm going to read it for us and then we'll jump into the sermon. So let me pray for us. And we'll get started. Our great God and Father, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you that your word is truth and that we can have life by it. We also thank you, Lord, that you have breathed out all scripture and that all of it is profitable and useful for correction and disciplining and righteousness and for calling us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We do pray and ask that you would help us as we read this long passage of scripture today, that we would see more and more of your glory by it, that we would understand what you're doing in the secret things and the hidden things. Uh, Lord, that you are always at work. Pray, Father, that you would help us to pay attention, help us to focus. I pray that you would take our deadened and hard and cold hearts and make them warm and alive to the things that you love and the things that you care about. Mostly, Father, I pray that we would get a greater glimpse of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in his gospel for us this morning through this word. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 9, starting at verse 3. Let me just remind you before I start. Last week we were giving the introduction to Samuel, and he was a tall and handsome guy. Good-looking um, had all of the physical features that you want in one of your great leaders. Um, you would elect him as your president just on his looks. And that's where the good stuff ends. <laughs> right? Everything else that we read about Saul here uh, actually sets him up to be a terrible leader. Um, and I hope you see and delight in this story because it's a fun story even as long as it is. So let me read this for you starting at verse 3 of chapter 9 of 1 Samuel. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, Take one of the young men with you, and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, and he passed the land of Shalashah, but they did not find them. And they passed the land of Shalalim, but they were not there. Then they passed the land of Benjamin, but they did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant, who was with him, come, let us go back, lest my father cease to, be care, to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. Now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again, Here I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Now formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. 
As they went up the hill to the city, they just happened to meet young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered, He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry. He has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are, all, who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come up to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall subdue my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? And Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go, and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is, that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? And Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribes of, Israel, of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about thirty persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring out the portion I gave to you, of which I said to you, Put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, See what was kept is set before you. Eat because it was kept for you until you're appointed to the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day, and when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us, and when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hands of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men of Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there further and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, 
and liar before them prophesying. When the spirit of the Lord will then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you do what your hand finds to do for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal and behold I am coming to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel God gave him another heart. And these signs came to pass that day. When they came up to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servants, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Long passage, wasn't it? Well, there's three things that I want you to see from this passage. The first thing I want you to see is the search that Saul undertakes. Secondly, we're going to see the signs that Samuel gives to Saul. And then thirdly, we're going to see the secret that Saul keeps. So we're going to see the search, first of all. This is largely the first uh, uh, or, or all of chapter 9. What is Saul doing? Well, he has to be roused from his sleep, as a lot of young men have to do. or have to, Yeah, they have to be roused from their sleep. And the father tells him, look, the donkeys have broken out. Saul, you have to go find the donkeys. That's the first uh, part of this. And here's the setup for it. Uh, we're told, actually, in this first part, that Saul is ill-equipped to be the king of Israel. Why? Well, you need to know something about donkeys. You also need to know something about shepherds. All of the great leaders of Israel are shepherds. This goes way back to Abraham. Abraham is a shepherd and he's a good shepherd. He keeps his sheep close to him. He makes his sheep multiply. He's a good shepherd. And then you go on further and you find out that Moses, the greatest prophet that ever lived uh, at this time, was also a shepherd. He kept the flocks well, and he was a good shepherd. As a matter of fact, he tended to the flocks of God, God's people well. Uh, Later on, after Saul, we find out about David. And what was David? What was his occupation? Well, he was a shepherd. He was a great shepherd. And all of these men were very equipped and very good at keeping sheep. If you're good with the small things of keeping sheep, then you're going to be good with the large things. And that is tending to the flocks of God's people. Well, here is a man looking for donkeys. Uh, We look at donkeys today and we kind of laugh at them because they're silly creatures. We're used to seeing majestic horses. In this day, though, donkeys were like the Cadillacs of the day. They were the limousines. If you had donkeys, you were very wealthy. And here, Kish has a whole fleet of donkeys. They're not the silly animals that we tend to think of them. And Saul has to go out and look for these donkeys, this incredible investment of his father. And is he able to find them? Well, through this entire search, he cannot find these rather large animals, who, by the way, 
most donkeys, if you don't know this, they actually have a good sense of direction. When they get out, they can come back usually on their own. Saul can't even find these animals that can get back on their own. And the setup is that Saul is not equipped to be the king over Israel. And then you go on from there, and Saul makes excuses, doesn't he? After three days, after it just so happens that the food runs out, Saul doesn't want anything else to do with this search for the donkeys. He says, let's go back home because daddy is going to be worried about me and no longer the donkeys. Here's a grown man who was probably in his 20s or 30s worried about his daddy being worried about him. Uh, it's not a very good picture that is painted of Saul. And then further from there, whenever the, he make, comes up with this plan and says to his servant, let's go home, the servant is disobedient by saying, no, Saul, let's actually go up and find the man of God. Samuel is in this city. And Saul is like, who's Samuel? Saul has no idea who Samuel is, and yet the servant knows who Samuel is. The servant is more righteous Then Saul, and Saul says, yeah, but even if we go find the prophet, if we go talk to the seer, we don't have anything to give them. We have no bread, we have no money, we have nothing. And the servant says, look, in my pocket I have this, a third of a shekel, we can give that to him. So even the servant is prepared to meet the prophet, and Saul is not. Saul can't handle the small things, he can't handle the little things he more than likely is not going to be able to handle the big things of the Lord. But again, Saul's servant comes up with the plan, and they go and they seek the seer. Uh, and then there's all of these things happening here. I, I, I want you to just follow the way that the story goes. Um, they just so happen to run across this city where Samuel just so happens to be. And then as they enter the city, they just so happen to run across these faithful women who are not overcome and overwhelmed with Saul and his good looks, but they care more about Samuel being in town. And they encourage Samuel to hurry and go quick because they're going to miss Samuel if they don't go to him quickly. So they just so happen to run across some godly young women. And they just so happy to happen to run across Samuel at just the right time. And, and it just so happens that Samuel prepared a feast and was going up to that high place. And it just so happened that Samuel invited Saul to the feast. And it just so happened that Samuel knew to set aside this portion, this leg portion that was only fit for kings, for Saul. And it just so happened that they had a bed already prepared for Saul to lay down on that evening. Well, what do we learn from this? Well, we learned this. Uh, The title of the sermon is Accidents in the Plan of God. And as you read this passage of Scripture over and over, there are things that just so happen to happen. It it seems like a big accident that all of these things are happening, and, and they just happen to be at the right place at the right time, and all of it just kind of presses against just what coincidence and all of these things you just kind of like, Nothing like this just so happens. Well, of course, we know that in God's plan, there are no accidents. And the interpretive key to all of this passage is what we read in chapter 9, verses 15 and 17. This is what we read there. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hands of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. 
He it is who shall subdue my people. You see, all of the things that just so happened, they didn't just so happen. These things were not accidents from the very beginning. It was all part of the master plan of Yahweh to do what? To save his people. And I want you to understand this, that from the aggravation of the donkeys breaking out of their pins, from the aggravations and the hard work of climbing up and down hills and down into valleys, up and down, over and over, sore feet, hunger pains, the fruitlessness of the search, all of the things that happened to Saul and his servant all through this were part of God's master plan. For what? To save his people. The application is this, there are no accidents in Yahweh's plan. And I want you to understand this, that in the ordinary and in the mundane things of life, in the getting up day after day and dragging yourself out of bed day after day, out of the conversations that you have about what to eat or what not to eat, should we exercise, should we not exercise, should I do this or that? All of the mundane and ordinary things, what clothes should I wear? All of it is part of God's master plan for the salvation of his people. And it's not just the ordinary and the mundane and the things we just kind of have to grit our teeth and put up with. It's actually in the harsh and the difficult things as well. When hard time comes, when marriages fail... When things happen that don't go along with our plans. When we look up one day and nothing is right and everything is hard. Even those things are part of God's plan. And the thing for God's people that we need to understand. That Saul in his search for these stupid donkeys. That all of it was part of God's plan to bring about their salvation. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that every little piece and part of the puzzle of your life is part of God's plan to do you good and not evil? That is an amazing thing for you to hear. Some of you here this morning are grieved over things in your life, and your life is very difficult. And you wonder, is God in this? Where is this great and powerful Yahweh that is supposed to be at work? He's there with you in the valley, in the hard times. Some of you are just bored with life. Guess what? That boredom is part of God's plan. All of it, because there are no accidents in God's plan. We go on for there, and starting in chapter 10, we see signs that are given to Saul. He He does not understand what's happening. In verse 21, Saul answered Samuel, he says, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribes of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? See, Saul understands something. He is from Benjamin. And if you go back and read the last part of Judges, you understand why no one from the tribe of Benjamin should be a king over Israel. And that's actually the setup for this. Benjamites should not be kings. They are terrible, nasty, and disgusting people. That's what the Bible says about them at the end of Judges. Go and read that. Don't read it with your children. It's terrible stuff. And Saul understands his history. He says, Benjamites are not meant to be kings. 
the tribe of Judah, that's where your king come from. And he says, and on top of that, my clan is the smallest of the clans of all the tribes of Benjamin. I should not be the king. So he's confused. And yet, in verse 10, Samuel took a flask, or I'm sorry, in chapter 10, verse 1, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it over his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And then he goes on, and, he, and, and in Saul's confusion, after his anointing, what does God do? He gives him confirming signs. He reassures Saul, and he says, Saul, I want you to understand that I have indeed called you to be king. This is not the fancy of an old man, an old prophet. This is not just something that Samuel is making up, and he gives three very specific signs. What are the signs? First of all, he says that two men are going to meet you in a very specific place, Rachel's tomb. This was a very important place that everyone in Israel would know about. And what are these two men going to do? They're going to tell you that the donkeys have been found and indeed your daddy is worried about you. Get home. The second sign is this, this that three men are going to meet you at the Oak of Tabor, another very specific and very famous place for the people of Israel. And they're going to be bringing some very specific things, three goats, two loaves of bread, and one skin of wine for their sacrifices. And there... Those two men are going to give you two loaves of bread, and you will take those two loaves from him. And then the third sign is this, at Gibeath Elohim, um, which is called the hill of God. That's what that means, the hill of God. The Spirit of the Lord is going to come on you, and you're going to meet prophets there. And these prophets are going to have some instruments, a harp and a lyre and a tambourine, and they're going to be prophesying and dancing, and there's going to be music. And guess what? You are going to prophesy with them. And as we're told later on, this is very shocking to everyone because Saul is not the profiting type. He's not the kind of guy that's going to get up and preach a sermon. He's not the kind of guy that's going to get up and exhibit anything like what these prophets are doing. And yet the people are absolutely blown away because all of these things take place exactly how Samuel said they would take place. Saul wasn't the prophetic type, and here he was dancing and singing and prophesying along with all of these other prophets. And everyone was in shock by Saul's behavior up to the point where they made a proverb. Is Saul also among the prophets? Dale Ralph Davis says uh, that this means that the people says, it's kind of like saying this, will wonders never cease? Well, all of these things, these signs that God gives to Saul, what's the application to us? I think there are two applications very quickly. That when God calls us, he always equips us to that calling. Saul is not naturally given and naturally able to lead the people of Israel. He isn't disposed to doing these things naturally. But God has called Saul to be the king over his people. And God gives Saul the ability to do the things that he needs to do by giving him, in this moment, his spirit. I don't think this means that Saul was converted. I don't think it means that he all of a sudden was a Christian. Um, there's other things involved with this, but it does mean that the Lord equips Saul to be the king. What about for us? Well, when the Lord calls you to do something, he always equips you to that calling. Secondly, and I think this is important for us, when the Lord calls you to do something, he doesn't just leave you on your own and say, I hope you figure out what I've called you to do, but he gives you confirmation of his calling. 
You and I are never asked in the scriptures to make a blind leap of faith and simply just jump and hope that the Lord catches us. All over the scriptures, whenever God calls, He always gives confirmation of that calling. He always gives us proof of that calling. Furthermore, as Christians, you understand this, that we do not believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ simply because we want it to be true and we well up that desire inside of ourselves. The scriptures give us definite proofs of the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can trust and believe in. We do not simply believe this book because we hope it to be true and we just want it to be true and so we believe it. We believe it because it is objectively true and all of these things happened in history and time and space. The Lord does not ask us to simply make a blind leap of faith, but he gives us confirmation of his calling. Finally, and very quickly, we see the king's secret in verses 14 and 16 of chapter 10. Saul goes back and he meets his uncle, and his uncle says, Where have you been? Right? The donkeys have been home. (laughs) What happened to you? And Saul says, Well, we couldn't find the donkeys, and so we went and saw Samuel. And Saul's uncle wants to know, Well, what did Samuel say? Anytime you met somebody as important as Samuel, you want to know what he says. But here's the interesting thing. We expect here that Saul is going to tell his uncle, well, he said that the donkeys had been found and I'm going to be the king of Israel. But he doesn't say that. We're actually told, verse 16, And Saul said to his uncle, he told this plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. We end on a strange note. Israel has a king. This is the king that they had been waiting for. This is the king that they wanted. This is the king, more than that, that they need to save them from the hands of the Philistines. And who knows it? Samuel knows it, and Saul knows it. Everyone else is left in the dark. We end on a secret. Saul is timid. He doesn't tell his uncle these things because no one would believe that Saul was supposed to be the king, and so he keeps it to himself. And yet the king has been found over and over and over in this passage. If you want some homework to go do this afternoon, take out your Bibles, read this passage again, and every time the word found or find uh, is found or you find it, underline it. Twelve times it occurs in this, in this passage. See, all of the time people are finding things. They're, things are found and they're finding and Samuel finds Saul and Saul finds Samuel and the donkeys are found and, and the girls find Saul and Saul finds the girls and all of these things are found and found and found and found and Israel's looking for a king and they do not find one. Until, we're going to see next week, Yahweh reveals the king to them. All of these things are happening in secret. Everything that God is doing for the good of his people, he's doing in secret. Here's what I want you to learn from this. That God's grace to us oftentimes happens in secret. Just beyond our gaze just beyond our very limited perspective of what's going on in the world, 
Yahweh is at work to do what? To bring about our good in his glory. Are you fearful of what's out there? Do you wake up on Monday mornings realizing that you have the rest of the week and you don't know what's going to come? Take courage. The Lord is at work. You have a very small perspective on what the Lord is doing. God is calling the worst possible man to be the king of Israel for his glory, for his sake. And he will save God's people from the Philistines. He's not the right man, he's not the best man, but he's the man that God has called. And guess what? In your lives, just beyond your gaze, just beyond your very small and limited perspective, the Lord is at work for your good. He never stops working for your good and for his glory in the hard stuff. And the things that we call bad and terrible, the Lord is at work. And the encouragement to us is to never fear, but hope. Yahweh is on the march even today. Right now, he is at work to save his people. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter what the UN does. It doesn't matter who is in the governor's mansion in Louisiana or who is the head of the departments of Louisiana. It doesn't even matter who is in charge of anything. The Lord is at work. Hope and trust in him. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we thank you for giving us this word. I pray, Father, that you would allow us to trust in you and hope in you and be encouraged that even though things look hard and bad and tough, you're at work and you never cease to work for the good of your people and for your glory. That is a message that we need to be reminded of every single day. But our hearts are fickle. And our hearts are prone to wonder. Lord, we need your grace and mercy by your spirit to be reminded of this. And we thank you that even in Saul, you teach us these things. In Christ's name, we do pray. Amen.